Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. Is there any chance that you remember where you were in October of the year 2000? And I know that, that was a long time ago now. 2000, can you believe the year 2000 was 23 years ago? That's insane, right? A lot of you weren't even born yet. Um, but October of 2000, um, some news broke that just shook the world. And that news was the great Oklahoma legend, Garth Brooks, was retiring. Sad day, right? You may not know this about me, but I'm a huge Garth Brooks fan. Uh, I love Garth Brooks. Uh, obviously, I'm from Oklahoma, so I feel like I'm supposed to love Garth Brooks, but also just his music is awesome, right? So I know, like, you'd be hard-pressed to find a song of his that I don't know by word. I know even, like, uh, Thunder Rolls and Friends in Low Places, their secret uh, live-only final verses to those songs, and I know them. I know, I've got them memorized, right? So Friends in Low Places, The Dance, Unanswered Prayers, he has so many good songs. Even whenever he did the weird thing with Chris Gaines, you remember that? I have that album too. <laughs> I love it, right? Everything he does. And so he retired in October of the year 2000, and um, it, it was shocking because you got to understand at this time, there was not a bigger star in the music world than Garth Brooks. I mean, he was it. In fact, when he retired, at his, uh, whenever he announced his retirement, they were, they were throwing a party for him. His, his record label was throwing a party for him because he had just surpassed 100 million albums sold in the United States. When he retired, he had 18 number one hits. I mean, this dude, he was, he was at the top. And so he retired, and it was shocking, but his reason for retiring was, was kind of shocking as well. His reason was... He just wanted to be a dad. He had three little girls who were kind of getting older, and he felt bad about always being on the road and missing all their stuff, and so he wanted to be a, be a dad. He wanted to make sandwiches before they went to school. He wanted to drop them off. He wanted to go to soccer games and all that. So you got this guy who's at the top of the top by everyone's standards who just takes a step back for what actually matters. He, he said later that, that that decision was the best decision that he's ever made right, to, to step back. After his daughters graduated high school, well, he went back to music in 2014. He announced a three-year world tour, selling out arenas and stadiums all over the world, multiple nights in the same city, like Taylor Swift is, has been doing recently, right? That's what Garth Brooks, he did it first in 2014. I went to one of those shows and sat in the nosebleeds and loved every second of it, right? That's, uh, that's his story. And, and I think society looks at that and goes, what are you thinking, man? Like, you, you missed out on a lot of money, on a lot more influence, on a lot of other things that you could have had if you just wouldn't have taken that break. So my question for us as we get started is, is what if we as a society have skewed what success actually looks like? You know, like, I think our society today would say that success... Um, is, is seen in big lights, big stages, a lot of influence, a lot of followers, a lot of fans, and, and, and all of that, right? 
That's how, that's how society today defines success. And I think, I would ask the question, what if that same misrepresented idea of success has crept into the church? And what if the church sees success in a lot of the same ways that our world sees success and it's misrepresented by big stages and lights and follower counts and all of those different things, right? What we're gonna see today is we're gonna talk about effective ministry. Effective ministry. So in Mark chapter one, uh, if you were with us last week, Mark opens the book and he shows us Jesus' baptism and his temptation seen out in the wilderness, right? And then Mark, he uses his favorite word. He says immediately. He uses that word, I think, 41 times in the book of Mark. He says immediately after those things happen, Jesus is just out doing ministry. And he is, uh, he's a rock star, rock star by all accounts. In fact, look at verse 28 of chapter 1. It says that once the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. Just a few verses before where we're going to jump in this morning. We're going to start in verse 35, but in verse 32 and 33, Jesus has a crowd of people just lined up outside of the doors of the house that he's staying in. People were coming to him from all over the place so that he could heal them, right? So by, by everyone's account, he's preaching, he's healing people, he's casting out demons, and the crowds are flocking to him. So by every metric, Jesus's ministry is uber successful, all right? But what I think we're going to see here and what I think is going to teach us this morning is Mark is going to give us kind of a glimpse behind the curtain. And I told you last week, Mark focuses, on, focuses in on action over dialogue. Like we don't really even hear Jesus say a lot of things, but just through his actions, he's going to teach us what effective ministry is actually built upon. What does effective ministry look like? Before we jump into that conversation, I need you all to understand that if you are a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus you are a minister of the gospel, right? This isn't just a thing. So I think we've misrepresented what ministry is and, and, it, and we've, we've skewed it again, right? To where we would say that people who are in ministry are the ones who are paid to do it, so pastors. But what I'm saying is, no, that's not, that's not it. If you're a Christian, you are a minister of the gospel. Wherever he's placed you, your sphere of influence, the people around you, you are there to share the, the good news of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, be his hands and feet in a broken world. That's your calling. So teenagers at school, like you are ministers of the gospel, right? Parents in your workplaces, in your family, like you are ministers, all right? I need you to understand that as we jump into this or else you're gonna go, none of this applies to me. And what I'm saying is all of it applies to you, all right? All of it applies to every single one of us, this idea of what does effective ministry actually look like. Before we read our text, I want us to pray, all right? So I'll pray for all of us, you pray for yourself, that God would speak to you in this moment. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would, that you would just calm our hearts and our minds and that you would speak to us in this moment. Through the Spirit and through your word, would you reveal what it is you're trying to show us you help us to see it and follow it and apply it to our lives? God, would you help us to see that you are calling us to uh, a, a different kind of ministry, to reach people, to love people, to be present in their lives? Would you help us to see it? Would you help us to follow you? We love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 1, start in verse 35 with me. It says, very early in the morning... While it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place 
and there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I've come. He went into Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priests and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in deserted places and they came to him from everywhere. We're going to look at, at what this text is showing us and through these kind of two discrete actions of Jesus we're going to see what effective ministry actually looks like. And I'm going to show you that it's essentially effective ministry is fueled by prayer and it's visible in presence. That's what we're going to look at. So first, effective ministry is fueled by prayer. Verse 35 says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Now, all of you who would say, I'm not a morning person. I don't know what it looks like, you know, before about 8 a.m., uh, you can breathe a sigh of relief. He's not uh, prescribing uh, the time of day that you have to pray. The, the emphasis here is on the priority of prayer. So again, remember the context. The night before this happens. So the night before, verse 35 says, very early in the morning. Well, just the night before that, verses 32 and 33 tells us that people are lined up at the door where Jesus is staying. Probably Simon Peter's house. So they're lined up at the door, just this crowd of people coming to see Jesus because they know and they've heard that he can heal, right? Verse 28, his fame had spread. And so they come and they're lined up there. There's no indication in that passage of, of, of when Jesus went to bed that night, if he even went to bed at all, right? He's ministering late into the night. And so we're not sure if he even got to sleep. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But the, but the truth is, is that Jesus has got to be exhausted, right? He, he's fully God and he's fully man. So he is, he's fully, he's exhausted in, in, this, in this moment. And then the verse says, very early, he went out to a deserted place and was praying. Why would he do that? I think it's because he knew that prayer was important. And, and maybe important isn't even a strong enough word here. I think Jesus knew that prayer was crucial. He knew that it was crucial for him. So in the middle of all this ministry that he's doing and all the crowds coming to him and needing him to heal them and needing the help that he brings, Jesus was getting up early to get alone and pray. And I think this teaches us, again, we're not told what Jesus says, so this isn't one of those passages where he's, where he's saying pray like this, but we're seeing in his actions and in the context of the setting, this teaches us a couple of things about prayer. In this passage, prayer is first, it's a retreat. He's retreating from everything that has been going on, all the chaos that is around him in this moment. Basically, he sneaks out of the house, right? He sneaks out and he just leaves. It says very early, he went out to a deserted place. And that seems opposite 
of what we would define to be successful ministry. Like you don't leave the crowd. The crowd is the goal, right? So you don't leave the crowd and go out to a deserted place, but Jesus seems to do that, right? We define ministry or successful ministry in our day as lots of people around, lots of crowds, lots of, lots of noise, lots of success, but Jesus gets alone. Why? Well, maybe I could explain it in this way. So in pottery, there's a process, a crucial pr- part of the process called centering. And, and it's really, it's how you start. Um, you get the ball of clay, you put it down on the wheel, and you've got to make sure that it is perfectly in the center of that wheel. And then any time throughout the process, if you're moving it too much and it gets all wobbly and shaky, you gotta bring everything back to center. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. Whenever he's sneaking off to go and pray very early in the morning, he's getting away from the crowds, Jesus is recentering. He's being pulled in all kinds of directions. He's being stretched thin. And so Jesus needs to get up and get alone with, with God to recenter. There's a thing, and maybe you've heard of it, but, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing called compassion fatigue. And what that is, is people who are, especially in professions where you deal a lot with people who are hurting, so medical professions, counselors, pastors, different things like that, but I guarantee it in whatever sphere that you're in, you encounter this as well. People around you are hurting. They have their thing that they're dealing with. And compassion fatigue is whenever you're close enough to the situation where you start to put all that weight on yourself, right? You start to feel it as well. And I think Jesus is feeling that here. And, and so he's been, he's been doing ministry nonstop. People are following him everywhere. He needed space to recenter and reconnect with God. And let me just say, if Jesus needs that, do I even need to tell you that you do as well? Right? You need that. And I would say this, if you feel no real need to pray, it might be because you're not doing any ministry. Like you're just kind of coasting. But there's a a real importance, a real need here to get alone with God daily or else you will burn out. You can't handle the weight of it on your own. And so for Jesus, this was first, it was a retreat. And second, it was a refuel. Just like you need gas in your car. That's what Jesus is doing here as well. This prayer moment prepares him for the ministry that's ahead. Verse 36 and 37 says that Simon and and the other disciples, which Simon is Peter in this passage, by the way, they come and they find Jesus praying and they interrupt his prayer time. Have you ever been at a a restaurant and somebody's saying prayer for the meal and the waiter walks up and just kind of awkwardly stands there not knowing what to do as you're praying? (laughs) You know what I mean? Kind of get the picture that's what Simon's doing. Jesus has got his eyes closed or whatever and he's praying and uh, Peter just interrupts him. But through this prayer, it's a refuel moment for Jesus. Now he's, he's gotten alone. He's escaped from the crowds a little bit. He's retreated. And now he's being filled back up and he's ready to go do another full day of ministering to people. In fact, he says in verse 30, 37, uh, everybody's looking for you. Verse 38, he says, let's go. Let's go because this is why I've come. All right. So... Effective ministry is fueled by prayer, and second, it is visible in presence. It's visible in presence. Verse 39, 
He went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. This is a, a really moving moment here in Mark. Because, again, Jesus is seen like just crowds of people chasing him all over the place. Again, verse 28 says that. Uh, verse 39 kind of gets that picture again. He's just preaching. He's ministering to people out in the synagogues, and he's driving out demons. And then Mark zooms in on the face of one man. And it's the face of somebody who's carrying a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. He says, then a man with leprosy came to him. What you need to know about leprosy is that in the Bible, leprosy is a terrible disease. At this time, it was a, it was a, it was a skin disease and it had no cure. The death rate was 100%. If you got it, unless a miracle happened, you were going to die. It started as just a small white spot on the skin, but it would soon spread all over a person's body. All the nerve endings would die. Um, skin would fall off. Boils would cover the body. Body parts would just kind of rot off, like noses and ears and fingers. This was a terrible, terrible disease, and it was highly contagious. In fact, Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45 and 46 talks about this and how contagious it was. And so it prescribes and says that if somebody has leprosy, victims would need to be outcast from society to go outside of the city walls and live alone until some kind of miracle happened or until they died. One ancient writer um, at, the, at the time of Scripture he defined leprosy as this. He says, he says, leprosy was in no way differing from a corpse. You and I would say it this way. He was a dead man walking, right? If you had leprosy, this is a, it's a death sentence. And so they were outcast from society because it's highly contagious. If you get it, you're probably going to die. So they were forced to leave family, leave friends, move outside of the city walls, and live alone. And then Leviticus 13 says, if anyone even gets close to them, they have to make their presence known. They have to cover their mouth and shout, unclean, unclean. Don't come near me. Don't come near. If you come near me, you're going to get this and you don't want it. So I want you to see this man because Jesus has this interaction with him and you need to see him. He's outcast from society. He's shouting unclean when anyone even gets close to him. He's just waiting to die outside of the city gates. The fact that he approaches Jesus is shocking, right? The fact that he would walk up to Jesus but obviously he knows that Jesus can heal him. Obviously he's, he's heard the stories. He's heard of all that Jesus has done. He's, he's desperate and he knows that Jesus could heal him. And so Mark paints a picture of him crawling up on his knees to Jesus and he begs. He says, if you are willing, I know that you can make me clean, right? If you're willing. And then what happens next is even more shocking than the fact that he would even ask. 
Look at verse 41. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. It's so interesting. It says that Jesus touched him. Like, why would Jesus touch him? He didn't have to do that. He didn't need to touch him at all. And in fact, by cultural standards, he shouldn't have touched him. It's highly contagious. And now Jesus is declared unclean as well. But all of this, all of this was done to prove a point. See, Jesus didn't need to touch him. Jesus could have just spoken, right? He could have just said the words that he says in the passage, be made clean, and the man would have been clean. But he chose to touch him. This is interesting. How long has it been since this man has been touched? He's been outcast from society. He's forced away from family and friends and any kind of loved ones that he's ever known. He's forced outside. There's all kinds of studies that have been done on the effects of touch on like babies, right? If a parent just, just places their hand on them. I remember when my boys were little and they were in the back seat and they would be crying as I was driving. If I could just reach back and kind of hold their hand, well, they would just stop crying, right? There's, there's power in it. And so how long has it been since this man has experienced the touch or the compassion of another human being? Can you imagine how much it would have meant to him? Can you see what Jesus is doing here? He, he's telling the man, you're, you're seen, you're valuable, you're loved, right? And I think for us, that shows us if we are gonna be ministers of the gospel, we need to follow Jesus' Jesus's example here, and it shows us the importance of just presence and proximity to other people. See, people all around you are hurting, whether or not they show it on their face like this leper or not. People are hurting, they're in pain, and, and, and he has called you to be the hands and feet to minister to those people. But you need to just know, like you can mark it down, people in pain will interrupt your plans. <laughs> they always come at the most inopportune moments here. Like Jesus is speaking in the synagogues, that's a big deal. He's casting out demons. And then this man walks up. Do you know the power of presence in the midst of pain? If you've ever been in a moment of just hurt or confusion, having a friend, having a loved one, having a church brother or sister come alongside you is powerful. And that's what Jesus always did. I mean, throughout his ministry, Jesus is always moving toward the hurting, toward the abuse towards the outcast. He'd have dinner with them. He'd laugh with them. He would embrace them. So what if you and I began to see people in pain, not as a distraction to our day, but as a divine appointment from the Lord? Someone that he's placed in front of you, he's brought to you so that you could be his hand of compassion in their life. What if we saw it that way? So the man comes, says, if you're willing, I know that you can make me clean. Jesus touches him, and then he says, I am willing, be made clean. And it says, immediately, the leprosy left him. 
Like picture that. <laughs> Jesus says, be made clean and like wounds start to close up and fingers grow back and maybe a nose or an ear. Like this is, this is insane, right? And Jesus makes him clean. Makes him clean. See, this, this, it doesn't say that he healed him. Anytime leprosy is spoken of in scripture, it's talking about being cleansed from it, being made clean because leprosy made you defiled or unclean. That's the reason Jesus tells him to go to the priest. According to the Mosaic law, if someone did find a way to be healed from this, they had to go to the temple and stand before the priest who would declare them to be clean. And so Jesus says, go and do that to be declared clean but keep quiet. Don't tell anybody about this. Don't tell anybody about it, right? And then look at verse 45. Yet he, the man with leprosy, went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in deserted places and they came to him from everywhere. So Jesus says, you're, you're, you're made clean, Go do the thing Moses tells you to do and go to the temple and be declared clean, clean but, but don't say anything else to anybody about it. And the man just can't contain his excitement, which is understandable. And he goes and he tells everyone. So it's, un, it, it, it's understandable, but he still directly disobeys Jesus, right? Directly disobeys him. And you and I shouldn't judge him too hard because Jesus has healed us and he said go tell everybody and we don't tell anybody <laughs> also directly disobeying Jesus but why would Jesus tell him to not go tell anyone why would Jesus say to keep it quiet here's what I think is happening Jesus was drawing a crowd of people who wanted to be healed physically from their, from their thing whatever it was right? he's, he's healing people he's casting out demons and it's going to be a theme throughout his ministry here in Mark, but Jesus wanted to be clear that that wasn't his main purpose in coming. Like in his ministry, he does heal people of, of their sickness. He makes people walk who can't walk. He heals their blindness. He does all of these things, but it's to show his power over sin and death, his power over demons, like his authority in this world, the fact that he is God. But he didn't come simply to heal people of their earthly problems. He had, bigger, he had a bigger reason for coming. He says in, in Mark 1.15, we hear him, Jesus start to, to preach for the first time, and his, his message is this, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. See, that's why Jesus came. He didn't come just to heal somebody from leprosy. He came to preach the good news so that people would be healed in their soul, right? What you need to understand is that when the Bible speaks of leprosy, it is both literal, like people actually had it, people actually suffered from it, but it's also figurative. And here's what I mean by that. Literal, physical leprosy was a, a picture or a symbol of a much greater disease. And that disease is a disease of our soul called sin. And the problem is, is every single one of us has it. Every single person is infected by it, Romans 3 says. We all have it. And just like leprosy, the death rate is 100%. Unless there's a miracle, 
A person cannot cure themselves of this, of this problem. A person cannot come to, to be made clean outside of some kind of miracle happening. And the good news is, is that, is that we have a God who is able to heal us from that incurable disease called sin. That's why Jesus came. That's why he says, don't go tell everybody about this. I don't need the crowds coming to me just to be healed from their diseases. I'm preaching and proclaiming the good news of salvation. That's why I've come. And what he's coming to do is he's coming to lay down his life as a sacrifice that's demanded for your sin problem. In Mark chapter 15, he's going to go to a cross and he's going to die. And when he does, he sacrifices his blood. His blood is spilled out. He is the sacrifice. He's the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. His life is shed. He's put into a tomb because he's dead. And then three days later, he comes out of the tomb alive. And when he does, he remedies our sin problem. And every single person here today who confesses Jesus as Lord, ask him to save them from their sin problem, scripture says, will be made clean. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing. I'm willing. And he comes and what he does is he takes our place. This is the idea of, of what we would call substitution, that Jesus steps in where we should have been. We are the leper in the story, every single one of us. And Jesus takes our place. Our death was placed on him. His life was placed on us. We see it here in this story, this idea of Jesus being the substitute. In Leviticus chapter 13, verse 46, it says this, that a leper must live alone outside the camp. They gotta live outside the camp. And so in this moment, whenever Jesus says, be made clean, and the leper goes from outside of the camp, and he goes running into the town now, in society, around all the people, and he's telling them, then verse 45 says, now Jesus could no longer enter a town, and he was out in the deserted place. Do you see what just happened? Jesus swaps places with this leprous man. He swaps places with him. Jesus took the place of the leper so that the leper could take his place. And that is a picture of what he came to do for us. He took the penalty of our sin and he gave us new life. He took our place outside of the camp so that we could come in. Right? That's why he came. And for all of us who trust him as savior, you call yourself a Christian, when you come to him, he places his spirit inside of you and he says, now go do the things that I do. Go love people the way that I love them. Minister to the broken, proclaim the gospel. Be present in people's lives. Sacrifice all you have for the good of others. Because like we said, the people around us are, are hurting and they're in pain and they need the hands and feet of Jesus in their life. See, we started by talking about this idea, this false idea that we have on what success looks like. This false idea of what, what is truly effective, and specifically in ministry, I think we have false ideas of what effective ministry looks like. And I think it looks like Instagram reels, it looks like pictures of crowded church events, it looks like uh, huge follower counts, celebrity pastors, fancy lights, great worship bands, all of that. But what if... What if this passage is showing us 
that effective ministry is less about flash and it's more about intentional action. What if effective ministry is actually about a lot of prayer and a lot of presence in the midst of pain? I think that's what it's telling us. And so can you imagine if we as a church lived this kind of way? Can you imagine, like, what if, what if we did this? What if this was the model that we followed? And it's just a commitment that I'm going to just, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray a lot. I'm going to pray that, that, that Jesus' name would be made large here in Greenbrier and through our church. And then I'm going to be present in the lives of people. Here in our church and outside of these walls, there's people who are hurting, and I'm going to be present there. What if that's what effective ministry actually looks like. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.